Chapter Three of Book Three of Les Misérables, Volume Three by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Les Misérables, Volume Three by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Three: The Grandfather and the Grandson. Chapter Three: Brequiescant madame de t's salon was all that marius pontmercy knew of the world it was the only opening through which he could get a glimpse of life this opening was sombre and more cold than warmth more night than day came to him through this skylight this child who had been all joy and light on entering this strange world soon became melancholy and what is still more contrary to his age grave surrounded by all those singular and imposing personages he gazed about him with serious amazement. Everything conspired to increase this astonishment in him. There were in Madame de T.'s salon some very noble ladies named Mathin, Noé, Lévy, L-E-V-I-S, which was pronounced Lévy, Cambise, C-A-M-B-I-S, pronounced Cambise. These antique visages and these biblical names mingled in the child's mind with the Old Testament which he was learning by heart and when they were all there seated in a circle around a dying fire sparely lighted by a lamp shaded with green with their severe profiles their gray or white hair their long gowns of another age whose lugubrious colors could not be distinguished dropping at rare intervals words which were both majestic and severe little marius stared at them with frightened eyes in the conviction that he beheld not women but patriarchs and magi not real beings but phantoms with these phantoms priests were sometimes mingled frequenters of this ancient salon and some gentlemen the marquis de sasse private secretary to madame de berry the vicomte de val who published under the pseudonym of charles antoine monorhymed odes the prince de both who though very young had a gray head and a pretty and witty wife whose very low-necked toilettes of scarlet velvet with gold torsades alarmed these shadows the marquis de c de e the man in all france who best understood proportioned politeness the comte dame the kindly man with the amiable chin and the chevalier de portegis a pillar of the library of the louvre called the king's cabinet Monsieur de Portegis, bald and rather aged than old, was wont to relate that in 1793, at the age of sixteen, he had been put in the galleys as refractory and chained with an octogenarian, the bishop of Mirepoix, also refractory, but as a priest, while he was so in the capacity of a soldier. This was at Toulon. Their business was to go at night and gather up on the scaffold the heads and bodies of the persons who had been guillotined during the day they bore away on their backs these dripping corpses and their red galley-slave blouses had a clot of blood at the back of the neck which was dry in the morning and wet at night these tragic tales abounded in madame de t's salon and by dint of cursing marat they applauded trestaillon some deputies of the undiscoverable variety played their whist there monsieur thibord du chalard monsieur le marchand de gomicourt and the celebrated scoffer of the right, M. Cornet d'Incourt. The bailiff de Ferrette, with his short breeches and his thin legs, sometimes traversed this salon on his way to M. de Talleyrand. 
he had been monsieur le comte d'artois companion in pleasures and unlike aristotle crouching under campaspe he had made the guimard crawl on all fours and in that way he had exhibited to the ages a philosopher avenged by a bailiff as for the priests there was the abbe halma the same to whom monsieur la rose his collaborator on la foudre said bah who is there who is not fifty years old a few greenhorns perhaps the abbe le tourneur preacher to the king the abbe frecinou who was not as yet either count or bishop or minister or peer and who wore an old cassock whose buttons were missing and the abbe caravenon cure of saint germain des prés also the pope's nuncio then monsignor macchi archbishop of nisibi later on cardinal remarkable for his long pensive nose and another monsignor entitled thus abate palmieri domestic prelate one of the seven participant prothonotaries of the holy see canon of the illustrious liberian basilica advocate of the saints postulatori de isanti which refers to matters of canonization and signifies very nearly master of requests of the section of paradise lastly two cardinals monsieur de la luzerne and monsieur de cielt the cardinal of luzerne was a writer and was destined to have a few years later the honor of signing in the conservateur articles side by side with chateaubriand monsieur de cielt was archbishop of toul and often made trips to paris to his nephew the marquis de t who was minister of marine and war the cardinal of cielt was a merry little man who displayed his red stockings beneath his tucked-up cassock his specialty was a hatred of the encyclopedia and his desperate play at billiards and persons who at that epoch passed through the rue m on summer evenings where the hotel de cielt then stood halted to listen to the shock of the balls and the piercing voice of the cardinal shouting to his conclavist monsignor cotteret bishop in partibus of cariste mark abbe i make a cannon the cardinal de cielt had been brought to madame de t's by his most intimate friend monsieur de rochelore former bishop of Saint-Lys and one of the forty monsieur de roquelaure was notable for his lofty figure and his assiduity at the academy through the glass door of the neighboring hall of the library where the french academy then held its meetings the curious could on every tuesday contemplate the ex-bishop of Saint-Lys, usually standing erect freshly powdered in violet hose with his back turned to the door apparently for the purpose of allowing a better view of his little collar all these ecclesiastics though for the most part as much courtiers as churchmen added to the gravity of the tea salon whose seigneurial aspect was accentuated by five peers of france the marquis de vibe the marquis de tal the marquis de herbe the vicomte d'ame and the duc de val this duc de val although prince de mont that is to say a reigning prince abroad had so high an idea of france and its peerage that he viewed everything through their medium it was he who said the cardinals are the peers of france of rome the lords are the peers of france of england moreover as it is indispensable that the revolution should be everywhere in this century this feudal salon was as we have said dominated by a bourgeois monsieur gillenormand reigned there there lay the essence and quintessence of the parisian white society there reputations even royalist reputations were held in quarantine there is always a trace of anarchy in renown chateaubriand had he entered there would have produced the effect of pere duchene 
some of the scoffed at did nevertheless penetrate thither on sufferance comte buge was received there subject to correction the noble salons of the present day no longer resemble those salons the faubourg st germain reeks of the faggot even now the royalists of to-day are demagogues let us record it to their credit at madame de t's the society was superior taste was exquisite and haughty under the cover of a great show of politeness manners there admitted of all sorts of involuntary refinements which were the old regime itself buried but still alive some of these habits especially in the matter of language seem eccentric persons but superficially acquainted with them would have taken for provincial that which was only antique a woman was called madame la générale madame la colonelle was not entirely disused the charming madame de léon in memory no doubt of the duchesse de longueville and de chevreuse preferred this appellation to her title of princesse the marquise de crequy was also called madame la colonelle it was this little high society which invented at the tuileries the refinement of speaking to the king in private as the king in the third person and never as your majesty the designation of your majesty having been soiled by the usurper men and deeds were brought to judgment there they jeered at the age which released them from the necessity of understanding it they abetted each other in amazement they communicated to each other that modicum of light which they possessed methuselah bestowed information on epimenides the deaf man made the blind man acquainted with the course of things they declared that the time which had elapsed since coblentz had not existed in the same manner that louis the eighteenth was by the grace of god in the five-and-twentieth year of his reign the emigrants were by rights in the five-and-twentieth year of their adolescence all was harmonious nothing was too much alive speech hardly amounted to a breath the newspapers agreeing with the salons seemed a papyrus there were some young people but they were rather dead the liveries in the antechamber were antiquated these utterly obsolete personages were served by domestics of the same stamp they all had the air of having lived a long time ago and of obstinately resisting the sepulchre nearly the whole dictionary consisted of conserve conservation conservateur to be in good odour that was the point there are in fact aromatics in the opinions of these venerable groups and their ideas smelled of it it was a mummified society the masters were embalmed the servants were stuffed with straw a worthy old marquise an emigre and ruined who had but a solitary maid continued to say my people what did they do in madame de t's salon they were ultra to be ultra this word although what it represents may not have disappeared has no longer any meaning at the present day let us explain it to be ultra is to go beyond it is to attack the sceptre in the name of the throne and the mitre in the name of the attar it is to ill-treat the thing which one is dragging it is to kick over the traces it is to cavil at the faggot on the score of the amount of cooking received by heretics it is to reproach the idol with its small amount of idolatry it is to insult through excess of respect it is to discover that the pope is not sufficiently papish that the king is not sufficiently royal and that the knight has too little light 
it is to be discontented with alabaster with snow with the swan and the lily in the name of whiteness it is to be a partisan of things to the point of becoming their enemy it is to be so strongly for as to be against the ultra spirit especially characterizes the first phase of the restoration nothing in history resembles that quarter of an hour which begins in eighteen fourteen and terminates about eighteen twenty with the advent of monsieur de villele the practical man of the right these six years were an extraordinary moment at one and the same time brilliant and gloomy smiling and sombre illuminated as by the radiance of dawn and entirely covered at the same time with the shadows of the great catastrophes which still filled the horizon and were slowly sinking into the past there existed in that light and that shadow a complete little new and old world comic and sad juvenile and senile which was rubbing its eyes nothing resembles an awakening like a return a group which regarded france with ill-temper and which france regarded with irony good old owls of marquises by the streetful who had returned and of ghosts the former subjects of amazement at everything brave and noble gentlemen who smiled at being in france but wept also delighted to behold their country once more in despair at not finding their monarchy the nobility of the crusades treating the nobility of the empire that is to say the nobility of the sword with scorn historic races who had lost the sense of history the sons of the companions of charlemagne disdaining the companions of napoleon the swords as we have just remarked returned the insult the sword of fontenoy was laughable and nothing but a scrap of rusty iron the sword of marengo was odious and was only a sabre former days did not recognize yesterday people no longer had the feeling for what was grand there was some one who called bonaparte scapin this society no longer exists nothing of it we repeat exists to-day when we select from it some one figure at random attempt to make it live again in thought it seems as strange to us as the world before the deluge it is because it too as a matter of fact has been engulfed in a deluge it has disappeared beneath two revolutions what billows are ideas how quickly they cover all that it is their mission to destroy and to bury and how promptly they create frightful gulfs such was the physiognomy of the salons of those distant and candid times when monsieur martinville had more wit than voltaire these salons had a literature and politics of their own they believed in Monsieur Agier laid down the law in them. They commentated Monsieur Colnet, the old bookseller and publicist of the Quai Malaquais. Napoleon was to them thoroughly the Corsican ogre. Later on, the introduction into history of Monsieur le Marquis de Bonaparte, lieutenant-general of the King's armies, was a concession to the spirit of the age. These salons did not long preserve their purity. Beginning with 1818, doctrinarians began to spring up in them, a disturbing shade their way was to be royalists and to excuse themselves for being so where the ultras were very proud the doctrinarians were rather ashamed they had wit they had silence their political dogma was suitably impregnated with arrogance they should have succeeded they indulged and usefully too in excesses in the matter of white neckties and tightly buttoned coats the mistake or the misfortune of the doctrinarian party was to create aged youth 
they assumed the poses of wise men they dreamed of engrafting a temperate power on the absolute and excessive principle they opposed and sometimes with rare intelligence conservative liberalism to the liberalism which demolishes they were heard to say thanks for royalism it has rendered more than one service it has brought back tradition worship religion respect it is faithful brave chivalric loving devoted it has mingled though with regret the secular grandeurs of the monarchy with the new grandeurs of the nation its mistake is not to understand the revolution the empire glory liberty young ideas young generations the age but this mistake which it makes with regard to us have we not sometimes been guilty of it towards them the revolution whose heirs we are ought to be intelligent on all points to attack royalism is a misconstruction of liberalism what an error and what blindness revolutionary france is wanting in respect towards historic france that is to say towards its mother that is to say towards itself after the fifth of september the nobility of the monarchy is treated as the nobility of the empire was treated after the fifth of july they were unjust to the eagle as we are unjust to the fleur-de-lis it seems that we must always have something to proscribe does it serve any purpose to ungild the crown of Louis the Fourteenth, to scrape the coat of arms of Henri the Fourth? We scoff at Monsieur de Vaublanc for erasing the ends from the bridge of Jena. What was it that he did? What are we doing? Bouvines belongs to us as well as Marengo. The fleur-de-lis are ours as well as the ends. That is our patrimony. To what purpose shall we diminish it? we must not deny our country in the past any more than in the present why not accept the whole of history why not love the whole of france it was thus that doctrinarians criticized and protected royalism which was displeased at criticism and furious at protection the ultras marked the first epoch of royalism congregation characterized the second skill follows ardor let us confine ourselves here to this sketch in the course of this narrative the author of this book has encountered in his path this curious moment of contemporary history he has been forced to cast a passing glance upon it and to trace once more some of the singular features of this society which is unknown to-day but he does it rapidly and without any bitter or derisive idea souvenirs both respectful and affectionate for they touch his mother attach him to this past moreover let us remark this same petty world had a grandeur of its own one may smile at it but one can neither despise nor hate it it was the france of former days marius pontmercy pursued some studies as all children do when he emerged from the hands of aunt gillenormand his grandfather confided him to a worthy professor of the most purely classic innocence this young soul which was expanding passed from a prude to a vulgar pedant marius went through his years of college then he entered the law school he was a royalist fanatical and severe he did not love his grandfather much as the latter's gaiety and cynicism repelled him and his feelings towards his father were gloomy he was on the whole a cold and ardent noble generous proud religious enthusiastic lad dignified to harshness pure to shyness End of Book 3, Chapter 3